Welcome to Grace in 30 Live on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. This is Ed Mellick, and I'm joined by my co-host Sal Dietry. Sal, how are you tonight? I'm staying cool, my friend. I'm staying cool, but uh, tonight I want to take us back to a cold night this past February where tonight's guest shed his business suit, put on his most beat-up clothes he could find, and hit the streets for a night as a homeless person in Arlington. Dr. Matthew Shank is the president of Marymount University, and the idea of this first occurred to him after receiving an invitation to speak at ASPAN, a local nonprofit uh, dealing with the homeless. Dr. Shank realized he didn't know the first thing about being homeless, so before he talked the talk, he took a stroll in the shoes of a homeless person. He also felt compelled to heed Pope Francis's call to stay close to the marginalized and be the shepherd living with the smell of the sheep. Before we jump in with uh, Dr. Shank, I want to remind listeners about the call to action issued by last week's guest, Tim Sample. Tim challenged us to find a cause and organization that resonates with each of us, one that looks at the root causes of issues that result in hardship and loss of hope. He said, don't just write a check, but actively engage and be vocal with your message. He'd like people to sit back at the end of each week and ask themselves, how well did I wage peace? Finally, he challenged people to download the Wage Peace sign from his 72africa.org website, take a photo with it, and post it on social media in anticipation of International Day of Peace on September the 21st. So please take Tim's words to heart, and feel free to check out his website and our Facebook and Twitter pages at Grayson30 for more information. As Sal mentioned, we're joined today by Dr. Matthew Shank, president of Marymount University since 2011. Dr. Shank is a career educator who has held various positions at universities around the country and is active on numerous community and academic groups, including serving on the Board of Governors at Bishop O'Connell High School, which we featured on a previous broadcast. Dr. Shank, welcome to Grace and 30. Thank you so much. It's a great, great honor to be here. And uh, I have to tell you both, I love the premise of your show. It's fantastic what you're doing and the uh, message that you're sending out to your listeners. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Thank you so much. And, and we're going to ask you permission. Can we call you Matt? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Super. <laughs> Great. Look, uh, uh, l- let's jump in. I mean, had you ever considered doing something like this before? I mean, spending a night in the streets. I mean, look, this, this is the real deal. You're out there homeless uh, for a night. Uh, had you ever thought of doing something this prior to dealing with Ace Man? Uh, uh, to be honest, I had not, and uh, I am so glad that I did it, and it was a tough night, which we'll get into, but uh, never dawned on me to do anything like this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's courageous, a re- really uh, a, a great story. Look, you know, when you're out there, you know, in, in the streets, what are two things that really stood out to you about this experience? Well, to begin, uh, the the loneliness that you experience because you're not treated as another person when others think you're homeless. Uh, all they can see is those around them, and they don't see you. And so you just experience tremendous loneliness. I only spoke to a couple people the entire night, which started about 5 o'clock, ended the next morning about 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning. And over that period of time, I probably only actually spoke to maybe one or two people. Wow, that's right. You know, it, it reminds me, our first guest, Milton Brown, who for 30 years uh, had had a drug addiction and then spent four years homeless. And one of the things he said is that the homeless just wish someone would say, thank you, hello. You know, often the homeless will say things like, God bless you, and we just don't respond. And imagine how someone feels 
when that happens. Maybe just that simple, you know, God bless you back or you're welcome or how are you. It may be what's simply holding that person together. And yet we've just become so calloused even doing that simple thing. Uh, I, I actually yearned for it. And I was in a very high traffic area, meaning I was in the Roslyn Metro in the breezeway, like right before you get into the actual metro station, if you will. And so there were hundreds of people that passed me as I sat there. And over a period of time, I was actually thinking, you know, somebody is going to at least acknowledge that I'm here or maybe come over and ask me, um, you know, how's the night going, especially since it was so bitterly cold that night. And one gentleman gave me a little bit of a wink, and that was it. Now, you mentioned uh, in the article about this story an act of kindness that you experienced from from one particular group uh, right here at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington. Uh, They've been in this community uh, since before the Boston Metro. Tell us a little bit about your experience that night with Pastor McQueen. Uh, She is just tremendous, and I didn't know her and really still don't know her uh, well, but I can tell you she had no idea who I was. Uh, She didn't know that I was posing for the night, and I was told by the Ace Band uh, director, Kathy Siebert, she sort of charted out the night for me and said, you know, what you should do is start at the church, and there'll be a soup kitchen that night, and from there you can make your way down to to Roslyn and walk down there. Well, as it turned out, I, I unfortunately went to the wrong church. And so I walked in that night, and they were preparing breakfast for the next morning. And so I literally walked in on a group of uh, young volunteers, and they looked at me, and I, I obviously sort of said, what's going on here? I, I think I'm in the wrong spot. And the pastor stopped me and said, you know, can I help you? And I said, well, uh, and I, unfortunately during this process that I felt bad about it, and I told her after the fact, I did have to come up with a few white lies to protect my sort of cover for the night, if you will. And so I said, well, I'm just new to town, and I'm trying to figure out where to go, and I was told to come here for some food. And she said, well, that's tomorrow morning, but I will help you. So she said, you know, I'll give you a metro pass if you want down to Roslyn. I said, no, nah, I'm going to walk. She gave me some, you know, offered food. So she was truly a great spirit. So there were some other emotions that you experienced as well. Why don't you share with us some of those? Well, it, you know, as I said, the loneliness was probably the primary uh, driving emotion that I felt. And, uh, you know, as things progress throughout the night, you know, you, you go from sort of like, okay, lonely in the sense that nobody's talking to me to really almost uh, a calmness or a quietness because at 12 o'clock the metro shuts down. So there's still some traffic you know, foot traffic, and there was some construction going on, but you really feel, now I'm go- I've am i gone from lonely to alone, mm-hmm. uh, if that makes sense to yep. you. And so there, there was quite a range of emotion, but the other one I, I felt, quite honestly, probably the strongest at the end of the whole experience was guilt. So the university provides my family and I with a very nice house that we entertain in and that we live in, um, and coming back from what I experienced just unbelievable yeah it just must have been mind-blowing to walk into that after being with nothing for a while you also mentioned some of the rejection even from other homeless people that was kind of surprising when I read the article <laughs> yeah, yeah they didn't I don't think I don't know if they knew you know that I wasn't homeless or was but quite honestly I I didn't know what to expect, obviously, and 
I thought there may be clusters of homeless people kind of getting together and talking and, uh, you know, maybe there was a community, if you will, of homeless. And so in the metro, there was probably uh, anywhere from six to eight people that night, but maybe because it was so bitterly cold, everybody sort of had their own place. Nobody was interacting with anybody. So I felt like, hey, I'm not going to make the first move here. I'm going to let, if somebody comes up and, you know, says, how are you? I'm going to talk to them. But I wasn't about to make the first move and say, you know, hey, I'm new here. Can I, can I talk to you for a while? Although I did want to hear about their experience. Yeah. So, so tell us a couple of things that we take for granted that just stood out during that night and after that night. Well, probably, um, you know, well, you know, to start with, you think about your accommodations and what you have every night, every day. Um, you don't think about the comfortable bed that you have in. You don't think about the covers that you have on a cold winter night. You don't think about the heat that you have. I had a banana, you know, so at least I had a little food. But you take for granted even, you know, the fact that you can just walk into your pantry and, you know, pull up some food or walk in and get, you know, a cup of coffee. There is none of that available to you. So just, you know, sort of the basic raw necessities. But then the one that I you know, sort of thought that was most humorous that I never even thought about is, uh, like most men at my advanced age, uh, I need a bathroom during the night. <laughs> typically, I hear you. typically at least one time. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, everything's locked up. So there was nowhere to go and you know and I, it was kind of humorous and i i was so happy the next morning at 6 30 when that building opened up i was i uh, i couldn't have been more happy so, so what sort of personal changes have you made to your life your spiritual life because of this experience well i i don't know if i've made any changes to my spiritual life so much as um part of what i try to do um, as a person, hopefully a, a good person, is to serve others. And it's got me even more uh, energized about serving that particular population and passing that on to our students as an opportunity. That, that's great. That kind of leads me into, uh, you know, maybe a question. Uh, uh, generally, you know, what are you, you know, hoping that that uh, this change might happen at Marymount for the students, because I, I can tell you just from my our own interaction with Milton Brown and, and Ed and I get together with Milton every Saturday since he was on the show, is that I, I've started talking to people who are homeless just on my own business walk when I'm walking from my office to let's say Seven Eleven or something, and I've actually started chatting with people enough that I know their names, and they'll look at me like that guy knows who I am. How do I remember that? And and I go back to Milton's comment. He says, you know, they're we're better off, but not better than, right? Exactly. And that's really exactly. And those summed the whole thing up in those words. I mean, how how do you hope to maybe bring some of this to Marymount? You have this sort of common ground theme uh, on Twitter and things like that. How how are you hoping to bring this to the students at at Marymount? Well, I think you know part of our vision at Marymount that we created some five six years ago um, is to serve others. In fact, and to be in the community. So the pillars of our vision are service to others, global perspective, and intellectual curiosity. So there are a number of ways that we can bring this, you know, theme, if you will, back to the students. Certainly, our students do a tremendous amount of service in the community. Uh, 
Is any of that a requirement for graduation, or is it just they do that on their own? It is not a requirement. They do it on their own. Um, Sometimes it's done with affinity groups. For example, Campus Ministry does a lot of service. Our our athletes are, in fact, required to do service. It's not a graduation requirement, but uh, a requirement through the athletic department that they all do service. And so several years ago, we actually didn't know how much service our students were doing, uh, and so we tallied up uh, to the best of our ability, and we think that the students are doing about 50,000 hours of service per year, and our faculty and staff are doing about twenty to 25,000 hours of service every year without that requirement. So it's just part of the culture at Marymount um, that that is something we applaud and something that we think is important. Yep, that's great. Yeah, I think it's it's critical because, you know, I, I always draw back to Clay Christensen's book, uh, his second book, actually, How Will Your Life Be Measured, which he wrote after uh, surviving a terrible cancer. And, and his comment is, you know, the graduating class at Harvard Business School actually has no idea what they want to do in life. And he sort of charted how many of these people became trapped in, you know, the, the things that we all believe we need and how miserable some of them were 10 years after that he went back to these cohort reunions. Most of them were, yeah. yeah. That's right, and some were in jail. He went to school with Jeffrey Skelling. And so, you know, this idea of service, I mean, are you know, also hopefully as as people are sort of moving on from Marymount, they're seeking this higher purpose not only in their work but also in their daily lives. Well, I, I try to communicate that as best I can to the students, that I firmly believe that everyone is here for a purpose, I firmly believe that our purpose is to serve others. Yep. Well, the greatest commandment, you know, we're supposed to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. That's an equally important commandment, and you see the entire law hangs on those two commandments. So, yes, this is, this is the purpose. The key is how do each one of us do that, and that has to do with the passions we've been given, the skills, and, and the experiences we've been through. Mil- Milton was on the streets for four years and he has such a passion for these people now that I think he goes to Union Station every single day and ministers to him. He calls them my homeless brothers and sisters. Right. So it's, it's something that he was put through so that he would have that compassion and that, that servant heart for that particular class and group of people, which is really cool to see. Uh, one of the things that we do, and you may be familiar with this term, but um, the term that universities use is service learning. And so there is service in a sense of volunteerism, I'll call it. So we can get students to go out and, uh, you know, pick up trash and, you know, paint a a retirement community home or something of that nature that's not really tied into any academic program. And we certainly do think that that's important. But equally important is how do we prepare these students as history majors or business majors to go out and use their gifts to serve others? That's, That's great. Yeah, that's great. And I think this plays so much into what we see in today's environment where everyone just seems so angry about everything. Their lot in life, this and that. And, you know, Ed and I will often say, you know, one way that people can find value in their lives is just go down the street and talk to, you know, an, uh, an elderly neighbor that no one talks to. Right. And I think that's what you're talking about. But t- tell us some of the things that Marymount does. Uh, you have a, a number of interesting uh, mission trips and things that you do. When we chat on the phone, you said that we do a lot of things. Um, a couple favorite stories of, of the students and the work they're doing. Well, at one of the programs that we've been doing for quite a while is in Costa Rica. And so we have a very, very strong uh, physical therapy program, doctoral program in physical therapy. 
those students along with some faculty and staff and in fact some nursing students go to an orphanage in Costa Rica and serve you know those that need their their help every year and it's just tremendous so great example of service learning uh, they're using their PT knowledge and skills physical therapy knowledge and skills to help these kids and it's just heart heartwarming yep how many students typically go down um, I think we typically take about uh, maybe 20 to 25 students. Wow, so that's great. It's a big group, and uh, that's just, just one, of the, one of the many examples. I mean, uh, our kids actually serve the homeless. Mm-hmm. So through campus ministry, they'll go down uh, in D.C. and uh, feed the homeless at 5 o'clock on a Saturday morning. So th- there's just so many examples of the great works that our students are doing. That's great. You, I think you mentioned something about a day of remembrance, in, in fact, to sort of packing food for the homeless. I mean, uh, what right. are some activities around that? Uh, what we did there is actually through the, through the diocese, and Bishop Laverde came over and, uh, you know, helped, helped the students, quite honestly, was there and was present. And our students were packing meals for the poorest country in Africa. And so I think they packed last year, you know, in roughly an hour, an hour and a half, 10,000 meals um, for these kids so that's that's part of that day of remembrance is that uh, not only to honor those that have passed but uh, to serve those that we can help that's great uh, we're going to give uh, uh, Dr. Shank a, a minute here to grab a sip of water we're going to take a station identification break and come back you're listening to Grace in 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM We're talking with Dr. Matthew Shank, president of Marymount University, who's discussing his experience spending a cold night on the streets of Arlington. Um, Tell us a little bit, you mentioned Pastor McQueen, and you know, just Ed and I always say, it it always amazes us how guests come to the show. We actually met her here at WERA, oh, several months ago, and um, she's gonna be a guest of ours in about two weeks because uh, their church has committed to redeveloping that site as both uh, a place of worship but also affordable housing, which is a huge need right now in Arlington County. Um, have you had any interactions with her at all or plan to since your experience there? No, I would really love to. In fact, I saw her uh, for the first time at the breakfast that I spoke at about my experience for Ace Band. And so I went up to her after, and the first thing I did was apologize to her for <laughs> for my white lie and not telling her who I was. And I thought about it for a minute when I was in the process, but I thought, no, that's okay. I'll just I'll just stay undercover here. And and uh, so I I gave her a hug and and uh, talked to her a little bit about the experience. But uh, certainly would love to help in any way, shape, or form with her her efforts. Yeah, and I think they're going to be, I I don't know, their plans will learn more in two weeks, but there'll certainly certainly be a amount of displacement while they're going through this really metamorphosis into a community that welcomes affordable housing, the least of these, uh, and and continues their spiritual mission. So I'm curious, you know, there's there's a lot of division everywhere in the world, and, uh, you know, there's division within the body of Christ. You know, there's different denominations and beliefs and and, and, you know, I think one of the things I loved about the uh, Together event uh, a couple weeks ago was that everybody just came together under one banner, and it was just a wonderful day. And I'm just wondering if your experiences in any way gave you ideas of how you might, as Marymount University, reach out and work with other groups to try to together address problems like homelessness or other issues. Right. Um, 
what I would tell you, one of the things that makes Marymount very, very special is the diversity of our student population. And not to give you the history of Marymount, but Marymount was founded in 1950 as a two-year women's college, only giving associate's degrees, obviously. And at the time, it was almost like a finishing school. So if you were to come to my office, you'd see a picture of the first class or one of the first classes of Marymount women dressed in beautiful, elegant white gowns with long gloves. And it, you know, that picture was Marymount. Today, we hold the distinction of being number one in the South for ethnic diversity. So what that means is that we have, in fact, the, the best mix of African-American, Hispanic, and Asian, and white students. And where does that population come from? Is it is it nationwide? I mean, clearly here in Northern Virginia and D.C., we have a very diverse community, uh, highly educated parents, people from all over the world coming from all kinds of reasons. Tell us a little bit about the student body at Marymount. Yeah, so it's largely, I say largely, 67% would be regional. And then we have students from... I believe almost every state, maybe 47, 48 states. Uh, and then about 13% of our students are international students. And so when you get that mix of students in an educational you know, environment, it's just uh, it, magic can happen. And to your point, Ed, we were talking about the diversity you know, in terms of faith. About 50% of our students, 52% are Catholic. The rest are every denomination, and some have no faith belief at all. And so part of our job, I believe, is to grow these students, if, if you will, uh, in terms of whatever their faith belief might be, uh, let them grow in that belief, provide them opportunities. And so we have great dialogue on campus, interfaith dialogue between the Catholic students and the Muslim students for example. So there's a lot we can do with our diversity just to promote that piece that you were talking about. Yeah, and I love the intimate setting you're describing that this, you know, very committed student body is able to have these sort of close discussions uh, that I don't think you'd get at uh, maybe a, a much larger university, that that's one of your big selling points at Marymount is that you're very focused and you have these opportunities for people to really get to know each other and discuss these very serious issues. We, we, uh, joke sometimes that I don't I don't like people to call us a small university because we have about 3,600 students. So by national standards, private universities, most of them are about 1,200 students. But people think we're small because in the D.C. market, you've got Georgetown, GW, Mason's got 30,000 students. So most of the universities in this area are much, much bigger than Marymount. So by comparison, we seem small. But we're actually a good-sized, comprehensive university, master's degrees, doctoral degrees, you know, full array of bachelor's degrees. So it's really a great place to be because of not necessarily the, the, the size of the university, but the attention that we can provide to our students. Yeah, I also was going to ask, I mean, you mentioned this diversity and sort of a Catholic-Muslim uh, outreach what are you guys doing at the school to to address and, and to prepare students for going out in this world? There's a lot of violence and unrest and instability. And uh, is there anything conscious that the school is doing or, or something we're trying to step forward and do to try to better prepare these students to, in a sense, be peacemakers and to wage peace as they go out? Well, um, this will sound like a uh, sort of a fundamental answer, but I believe it is the answer, and that's education. Mm -hmm. uh, 
the education that we provide, period, will prevent things from happening uh, in the world as they are. So what I mean by that is that if, if we have an educated population around the world, people will be more tolerant. There will be more peace because of the education that we provide. You're clearly, uh, Matt, a lifelong educator, a scholar. This is your passion, your higher purpose. I mean, tell our listeners, especially those in college age, you know, things that people can do to explore their higher purpose. I mean, how did you come to feel that this was your calling and sort of just pursue it? Because, you know, we see a lot of times job hoppers in this area. People will go to work for this one or they'll jump on, on Facebook and they'll work there for a couple of years hoping to cash out. And, and they'll look back after 15 years and say, well, what did I really stand for? What did I really do? I mean, h- tell us a bit about your sort of higher calling to education and, and maybe just a word for our listeners about sort of exploring their higher purpose. Well, I... Thank you for the question. I, I do believe that there is a purpose for everybody, and they will ultimately find that purpose. And uh, I certainly started off not thinking that I wanted to go into education. So I got a PhD, you know, went through school, obviously got a PhD in psychology, of all things, experimental psychology, and started working for a marketing research company because I had a strong statistics background. And because I was an industry person, I was working with the university on a project and asked to teach a class in marketing. Now, I hate to admit this in front of all your listeners, but I am a professor of marketing. I've written five textbooks in marketing, but I've never had a marketing class. <laughs> so it's, it's really not that uncommon because psychology and marketing go hand in hand. Sure. And so I ended up teaching a marketing class with no prior back to, background um, directly, you know, in marketing and that led me to to really see the beauty of teaching and from there i said okay i think maybe i'll shift gears a little bit and and went into being a full-time educator so as a faculty member for many 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 years a department chair dean of a business school and then that brought me to marymount as the president yeah, you're. Uh, tell us something. You know, you're you're a little bit new to the Arlington community. What is your favorite thing about Arlington? I, I know you're on a number of boards, um, including the board of the the Catholic Business Network. I was just at one of their events last night. Tell us a little bit about what you love about living in Arlington. Well, actually, I I thought as an outsider that the reception that my family would receive, I certainly didn't think we would receive a poor reception. You know, especially given my position at at the university. Uh, interacting with a lot of people, but um, people are so warm and genuine here. It was very surprising to me. I'm coming from, I grew up in St. Louis. I was working at the University of Dayton before that. So my my wife and her family live in Northern Kentucky. So we were living in Northern Kentucky, Cincinnati area. So always sort of Midwest, except for my own education and a few other excursions. But I've never lived anywhere that I would consider East Coast, and and you might not consider this East Coast. I could, coming from the Midwest, I consider it East Coast. So I had that that mentality that I'm going to get here, and people are just going to be rude and mean, and so a pleasant you know, surprise. Every stereotypical <laughs> bad thing that you could think of, and and uh, people couldn't be people couldn't be better here in every possible way. So we've got a minute, a minute and a half. We, we definitely like each one of our guests to come on and issue some sort of a call to action for our listeners. You know, please, what would you like our listeners to 
to, to step up and step forward to start doing? Well, you know, we, uh, we touched on my experience, obviously, that night. And one of the things that I noticed, uh, and there are some great organizations, many out there, that are trying to improve the condition for the homeless and ultimately bring them what they need to, to, to be housed and to have jobs and to sustain their lives and have dignity. The one thing I noticed that night was some of the basic needs that were not being met. So, for example, I, the only thing I had with me that night was a sleeping bag. And so I slept, you know, with the bag sort of covering me. There were, as I said, there were about six to eight people there. One other woman had a sleeping bag. The rest of the people were covered in newspapers. So even though the ultimate goal is to get these people housed and, and um, have a great self-sustaining life, I think there are a lot of emergency needs that we could easily take care of as a community. And so uh, I'd like to see people step up and maybe um, provide some items, volunteer, donate items. And the organization that I was working with on this process was ASPAN, as you mentioned. Um, Scott Miller is the, probably the best contact at ASPAN for this. And so uh, if you're out there listening and have an old sleeping bag, old coat, whatever you think would help the homeless. Um, we, we run out of time every show so fast. We want to just thank you, though, for, for being on the show. We really appreciate your time and your insights. Maybe we'll have you come back. And, and if you start building some of these initiatives that reach across to other organizations, please let us know. We'd love to have some of your students come on the show and talk about their experiences as volunteers as well. That would be great, definitely. So, so this is Ed and Sal uh, signing off from Grayson 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night, and be sure to tune into Grace.